Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. First off, I'd like to apologize for my own audio quality on this episode. I made a couple of changes to our setup here, and as you will probably be able to tell, we hadn't quite ironed out all the kinks. Our apologies. Now, on our trajectory of kicking off 2020 with a bang, we have on this episode Doug Pierce. Doug is the CEO of Dukan Network, based in Shanghai, China, a company driving change and digitization in the China outdoor advertising industry, and is the former CEO of Omnicom Media Group for Greater China. He is likely the only person to have run a creative agency, Leo Burnett, media agency, at a brand level with Starcom Media Vest Group and a holding company level with Omnicom, plus a consultancy business with Accenture and now a startup in the ad tech media owner space. He's been in China since the mid-2000s and has an absolute wealth of ad and marketing experience to share. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. What does China or a Chinese company do well that impresses you the most and why? Uh, look, really, uh, speed and decision making. Um, they just get onto things very, very quickly and, and address them super fast mainly because the chairman sits upstairs in the building and just says, go for it. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Doug, thanks for jumping on the show today. Uh, great to be here uh, talking with you, Todd. So why don't we talk a little bit about how you got to be in the sh- in Shanghai, how you came to be in China, some of the roles that you had, and just talk to us a little bit about the early days. Oh, look, I'd love to. I've, I've had a, a wonderful China journey, and it started... Um, when I was at Leo Burnett in Melbourne and um, was asked to consider coming to uh, Shanghai to run uh, Leo Burnett, which I did. Um, did that for, for about two years and then uh, transferred back to, to Melbourne with uh, Starcom, which was, of course, owned by Leo Burnett and um, was there for a very short time before the boss of uh, Starcom, Jack Clues, said, um, we want you back in China more than we probably need you in Melbourne. So I did that and did that for a couple of years. And then I um, was approached to to work with uh, Accenture, building a uh, marketing um, evaluation business, media auditing, pitch management, which I did across uh, Asia Pacific for about four years until 2011 when I uh, rejoined the media industry uh, running OMG across uh, Greater China. Uh, and since that, I've just uh, doing my own thing in, in digital outdoor programmatic buying and ad tech, which is great. So a very wide and varied uh, a couple of years in China, 15 in total, working uh, media agency, consulting, creative agency, and now as a, uh, a tech provider. So this is going to be a fantastic conversation because nowhere in the world has... I think an industry overhauled itself 
multiple times changed so drastically at such a high rate than media and advertising in China. Now, oh, absolutely. I think the, um, the landscape now compared to what it was in even 2013, 2014 is, is a totally different uh, situation. You and I have a touch point, and that is when I was with China Accelerator and you were with OMG, you actually came to the table and sponsored a couple of our demo days getting involved at the early stage entrepreneur tech scene. Now, I wasn't privy to some of the conversations and I wasn't the one who built the partnership with you. It was my colleague, William Balbean. But tell me a little bit about why OMG would have thought that being involved with an early stage startup accelerator like China Accelerator was a good idea and what OMG might have been looking to gain from that partnership? Oh, look, uh, that was a was a really special time for us. Uh, the idea came from uh, the CEO of OMD, Arlene Ang, at the time. And we were always challenged by our clients to bring innovation to them, um, and not just in perhaps a media idea, but innovation that could really help their overall business uh, develop and grow. So uh, Arlene and uh, also Alvin Fu, who was with us at the time, uh, were pretty close to the, the China uh, Accelerator group and um, felt that it was great that we could provide access to our clients for for people participating in the in the accelerator, and also we could use the innovation and the new things they were doing to take to our clients, and we thought it was a pretty good fit. Um, that that's that was the idea, and we sponsored it for a, a couple of years, and were involved in um, in the decision making of who 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 would win this this program, and uh, we then took those to uh, to our clients. You're based in Shanghai. That's where we're talking to you right now from, correct? Yeah, sitting okay. in Shanghai. It's in a WeWork. In a WeWork. Uh, yeah. I hear that there's a lot of WeWorks in Shanghai. There is. I think there's about 16 or 17 now, a lot of them. That is unbelievable. So you've had a ton of China experience uh, in the advertising sector, primarily on the agency side. Can you talk uh, just a little bit broadly about what the media scene is like in China? Look, I think it's uh, it's like nowhere else. Obviously, we don't have Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon here, but we have BAT, uh, Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. And um, there's another company fast ramping into that space called ByteDance that have taken the, the world with uh, their TikTok platform. Um, and those companies have an ecosystem behind them. They tend to be doing more things than perhaps Google doing just search uh, or, you know, Facebook doing just more social media or or uh, Amazon just doing retail. For instance, uh, Alibaba has a complete uh, ecosystem that starts with producing content through their early pictures. They, they sell the product on, uh, on, on Taobao. They deliver the product through their ownership in Baojun. They, they play the content that they make on, on Yuku. They, they just have a complete, you know, almost an A to Z um, platform that advertisers can link into. They purchased a share in Focus Media to give them access to outdoor inventory. 
they have investments in I think the top sort of 20 apps and they can sell now to advertisers inventory across these multiple, multiple platforms, far wider than uh, Amazon or, or Google can do. So therefore, they're pretty important people to, to be able to get on with. And of course, we all know that the Taobao system is probably responsible for in excess of sort of 20, 25% of many of the sales for some of these companies. So they leverage everything to uh, secure as much uh, investment as they can from, from advertisers. How do you think it differs from the rest of the world and the way that media and marketing operates? Uh, well, I think, I think the, the, the Alibaba system is different because it's broader and covers more platforms that you need, you need to get you know, involved in. Um, I would imagine that the spend share going to the big three here, uh, less so by doing because search is coming, coming back, but it's certainly probably pretty similar to the US, 60 70%. But I think it's just us that, that it's so complex, it moves so quickly, you've got an, an audience that is changing so, so fast, that's not brand loyal, that, that buys the new thing and takes on the new thing and... Um, it's, you have to be very, very nimble to work in the business here. Um, there's also KOLs, um, which are hugely important for many categories in China. Um, China's always been, had a lot of personalities, um, you know, promoting brands, perhaps more than, than, than the West, but um, the, the influence of KOLs and, and social marketing is now pretty strong here. And, um, no longer can an agency just focus on, on you know, the core traditional media, but you need to be across everything, um, including obviously data and um, e-commerce. They all have to be part of an offer for uh, for the for an agency to a client to accept, um, and it's all integrated into the whole media system. The consumer path is quite different in China uh, for, for, for multiple reasons. But the awareness or becoming aware of a certain product and then building the interest and then doing the research to make a decision and then actually making the purchase, where how is that happening? Is that multi-platform, multidisciplinary, or is that being done all within one platform? Or who's leading the way in this? Look, it, it probably starts with um, social media. Um, and TikTok and uh, other other platforms, and then pretty quickly, I imagine would move to to Taobao. And uh, where where can you where's the best place to buy it for the cheapest possible price? Um, and I think that would all happen pretty well one after the other. If someone was online and or, or on their device looking at things that would just be oh this looks really interesting. Um, get out of whatever they're looking at then and then go straight to Taobao to see where the best place to buy it is and when will it be delivered. Most likely it will be delivered the next day. So the, the, the path to purchase can be really, really short here. And um, in fact, maybe not the path to purchase, but the path to use um, can, can be, I would imagine, about two to three days maximum. So, so look, yeah, I think the... The way that it would go in the West is probably longer, um, more of a consideration time length for someone to decide to buy something. Here, I think it happens pretty, pretty quickly. We know that a lot of 
you know, big name brands, big name companies have uh, tried to enter China. We know that there are some very, very large freight liners that are sitting at the bottom of the ocean, uh, dashed on the shores <laughs> of China, so to speak. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the experiences or some of the stories that you know of in order to help uh, educate or teach our audience about uh, maybe some of the things not to do via examples yeah. of, of those brands? Yeah. Well, preparation and understanding the market and where you fit in uh, is it, and having enough um, financial resource and, and time to make an impact is really, really important. And um, I think people, particularly brand leaders from outside of China, don't pay enough attention to the local brands. And in many cases, particularly in FMCG categories, the local brands are pretty good. Um, and, you know, obviously in smartphones, they're, they're, they're great. So really understanding the market and what you need to do and um, research the market is really, really important. Um, I gave uh, some, or I had an occasion to do some work with uh, Purdue Chicken, um, who felt that there was a great opportunity to sell marinated, uh, prepared chicken with different sauces and dressings and were looking at doing that as part of their offer for delicatessens. But in those days, people bought their fresh chicken as a loft of chicken and cut the head off and cooked it in the afternoon. But um, And I just don't think they did en enough research, and I hope I'm not doing them any injustice. It was many, many years ago. But, I mean, I don't think they knew really how people were, were, were using chicken and food and, and meat at that time. And, you know, I worked with Best Buy as well when they came into the market and spent a lot of money trying to promote their idea of service and, um, you know, understanding your products and that people would value and coming into a Best Buy store and getting lots of good advice and um, then they would get a purchase. But what happened, because the Chinese are, uh, you know, driven by price and value a lot. Um, they went to Best Buy and got all the advice and then went next door to buy it. But one of the local players um, or now went on to, went online to buy it. So sometimes the, the real understanding of the Chinese consumer and how they react uh, to brands and is just not there. And um, it takes time. It takes time and money. Um, so you need to be have that. But most of all, you really need to be very clear on what point of difference you're going to be in or going to deliver and that the Chinese are looking for that. Could you speak to the difference between belief in what a brand is telling me versus belief in what my network is telling me? I think that the network is uh, is pretty important. Yeah, again, for some, some categories. Um, but but generally, I think the network for particularly younger markets, what the network is, what the trend is, what's what's happening, what's hot, uh, is really really important. I mean, that's obviously important in the West, but but here I think people do look look to what their peers are doing and what the fashion fashion is, um, and and they just move so much quicker, Todd. It's just so fast really because of the power of e-commerce and the power to buy anything um, and, you know, the power of, of the connected payment platforms and WeChat and all that sort of thing. So it just moves so quickly here. I think that's, that's probably the 
key difference is it's not such a lengthy time period. It's perhaps, you know, I really want that. That seems to be a good product. I'll buy that and you get it the next day. You've been a part of a lot of pitching. Uh, you've been pitched <laughs> to and you've done a lot yeah. of pitching. Can you yeah. just talk to us a little bit about what that looks like uh, in the Chinese scene? Well, look, it's it's feverish is what I what I would say. It's it's really incredibly competitive. We've got, and this is the same cycle in the West, but but advertisers now have a you know a two to three year review cycle, so it puts a lot of pressure on on agencies to uh, to to keep business they've got at the same time get new business. Um, and they all tend to happen around the same time, uh, ready for the for the next next financial year. So for agencies, pitching is uh, a very intense, feverish process that uh, is just part of agency life these days. What are some of the elements of pitches that were successful for you, or even more so, what were elements of pitches that uh, were successful? Uh, to you, look, I, I I probably took a different sort of position when uh, I was with Accenture running pitches. You know, to me, it was very much about the people working on the team and the talent, and then trying to make sure those people that are put forward by the agency are actually going to work on the business and be accessible. Um, I think that was that was the key thing, and but really. You look for someone that's going to, or, or a team, or an agency that has a process, or a tools, or um, capability, and strategic thinking, innovation to take the business forward. Um, unfortunately, and I think this is probably part of most markets around the world, a lot of the decision actually comes down to price, um, which, which is often driven by procurement rather than the marketing people. Uh, and I think that's in some ways the saddest part of the pitching process these days is that there is too much reliance on price, um, whereas, you know, we used to in the older days focus more on on strategy, talent, innovation. Now it's, of course, it's a use of data and integration mm-hmm. of data. Mm-hmm. Um, but too much of it, in my mind, goes down to the down to a price, which is really hard to measure at the end of, say, two- to three-year contract was the, the pricing commitments delivered. But most of all, um, the media themselves have been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, and I'm not sure there's enough, uh, enough blood left in the media business to the media, you know, the media providers, the media owners to, to lower the price um, at every year. I just don't – they're all struggling, so they don't want to drop the price, but that seems to be what many – advertisers like to make their decision on. Not everyone, of course. The the smarter clients don't do that, but many, many clients do. It's just about the, mm-hmm. the lowest price. Of the things that can be controlled, though, like, you know, like you mentioned, the data and the price, you know, that kind of is what it is. You know, that's, you know, it's just, it's just market forces are moving and, and it's somewhat out of a lot of people's control. Um, you just, you either know how to run a lean business and, and price accordingly or you don't. Um, and it comes out in the wash of the things that can be controlled, you know, in a pitch, whether it's soft skills or other, where do you think a lot of pitches fell down in your past and your experience? Look, having having a relationship with um, with the client, understanding the client, and knowing them, and really knowing their their business 
uh, is really, really important. Um, I don't think enough agencies get to do that. Um, some clients, again, don't want any communication once they've started a pitch, which is a, a little little crazy. But I think if you've got a relationship with the with the client and you understand and they know you're a little bit, you're starting from a much stronger position. But I I think there's, there needs to be more focus on business outcomes what initiatives mm-hmm. that you can bring that actually drives their business or takes it into a new area mm-hmm. rather than just save money or just come up with a better media strategy and media plan, but really what's a, a business building initiative that you might be able to bring together? Like what we talked about before when we had, we had the partnership, you know, bring some innovation mm-hmm. that you can, something new to the table in, in, a, in a, we, with, you know, China Accelerator. Um, I know there's a the company that we were we we were really impressed by Robin A. Mm, um, mm. That you know came to do a lot of work with our clients, and I think that's the unexpected. I mean, that's what you want. And when I was at Accenture, I I really looked for the unexpected and a wow factor, or that's different, or no other agency's got that, and that's what we tried to do. You know, at, at Omnicom Media Group across OMD and PhD. Um, we tried to do that too. Take something different, you know, be a standout. Because you've got to remember, Todd, that the, most clients would see three to four agencies over two days. And by the time you get to the fourth agency, they're pretty well saying the same stuff. Mm, and they're using the same language, the same vernacular, um, same slides. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. And it, then, it can be the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and if you're the incumbent, you've already got the business and you're trying to keep the business, it's really hard to go in and say, hey, we've got all this new stuff, all this new tools, a new platform, we've hired a new strategic guy, it's going to be awesome. It's like, well, why didn't you do that before? So, you know, the, the, the thing to do is to try to always be bringing innovation and new ideas to, the, to your, your clients at all times to try to avoid a pitch. And uh, I know it's tough, but if you get the marketing people on side and, and they're, they're, they believe you're doing a great job, maybe they can delay a pitch or, or you know, push back and not, not have a review. But it's all about really adding value to the clients that can, you know, deliver a better business performance. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, don't, don't bring me a design for a better mousetrap. Um, just... Yeah. Actually, show me, draw me a map to where the cheese is. Um, yeah, and I think agencies now, um, you know, and, and you know, I love the agency industry. Obviously, it's been very good to me, and you know, it's a great industry to be in. And in fact, it's probably never been a better time to be in agencies because there's so much change and so many new things that you can bring to the table and take the client. But it's tough because you know there's remuneration issues and and um, talent issues that are being burnt, they're being burnt out and overstretched. So, you know, one thing that I would, would do, I know this is always, always hard, is say no. When you think the client is, you know, not going to pay you enough money and, you know, you, you want to, um, you do it just because you need the revenue or you need the fee or you need the billings. Sometimes it's better to say, you know what, you're not, not right for us and um, spend your time on a client that's really going to value you. I don't think agencies say no enough. A lot of the work that you've done, and let's be honest, has been driving success for brands, to put it simply. 
What does it typically take? What are some of the nuances that you can tell our audience about? Give us a little bit of a look inside some of the secrets to your success over the past 15 years. Look, I think the number one thing is to partner with the agency and particularly to have a senior leader of the agency team who really understands the brand, understands the business, understands the vision, the strategy, where they're going and can be a real partner. And I think this constant pitching every two to three years really interrupts that. And if you go back, um, you know, 15 to 20 years, that, that was what used to happen. There used to be a, a car expert that worked in the car category for, for, you know, 15, 20 years or particularly in a pharmaceutical category, and they could really add value. And clients were looking for that. And now it seems to be so much more that, you know, perhaps agencies are a supplier mentality. Um, and I think the real secret of getting, you know, I look back at the history of the brands that I've worked on where, um, you know, perhaps more when I was coming up in the industry rather than management, so I was spending 50, 60% of my time on a, on a brand. I, you know, I was lucky enough to work on Hallmark Cards, which, you know, was a tremendous family-owned business and involved the agency and me and everything. I, I've worked on Ford was the same. Unilever involves people. It's the clients that really treat you as a partner, um, which I think get the best results. You get the best results because the people feel they're making a great contribution. The agency people think they're making a contribution and they enjoy it. Therefore, they're less likely to leave. They feel partnership, you know, they feel the partnership between the team and the work's better. The agency model has changed, will continue to change, and probably needs to change. Can you yes, talk yes, to- and yes. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how it's changed, why there's a necessity for it to change, and maybe talk to us a little bit about what you feel still needs to change further? Up until about 2010, there were people who could have done a whole career, 30, 40 years working in the agency business that did really just TV, radio, print, outdoor. Um, and then I think around 2000 it was, search came along. Uh, and so people, agencies, for some reason, kind of said, well, we don't really do search. And then this whole search digital industry came up as separate to mainstream agencies. So, but now the person in the agency side needs to really understand still TV, radio, print, outdoor, um, but the whole digital landscape, how. Um, search works, how content works, how KOLs work, how e-commerce works, how social marketing works. There's just so many things now that people, uh, you know, on a client side need to understand. Even if it's not their specialty, you've got to understand it. So I think think that is is how the industry has changed um, dramatically. So people need to do more. There's a much... Need more and more of a need for speed too to get things done quickly, um, and I think it just puts a lot of pressure on on people in the agencies to uh, to, to to work that way. The thing that I would would say needs to change is they need better remuneration models. 
that enable um, clients to earn the money that they should to be able to attract the best people to the industry um, and to have a team that's allowed think time, think and work time and explorative time to be able to, to help the clients. I think many agencies now are, are really just focused on getting the work out um, because it's probably because of the decision-making process and the time and the speed to market, um, you know, needs to be done today because it's going to appear in uh, a couple of, you know, weeks. Whereas before there was always lots of longer-term planning and leading taking place. I think that's gone as well. Okay. And the, the, the thing that I've learned doing a startup, um, which I find really interesting, and people often ask me now, well, what's, what's been the big difference? We don't have any legacy business in the startup. You know, we're, we're doing things from new. We're not protecting any income that we need to keep that might not be profitable just to keep the door open. And I think that's, that's the, the challenge for many, you know, agencies and, and media organisations today too. So if you think about media companies that are leading the space now, they're all relatively new, maybe under 10, 20, 20 years old. And it's very hard to think of a media media vendor or a media company that's been able to transition out of the old into the new um, successfully and grow. Um, you could you could say that some magazines have now got digital versions of their of their print edition and are starting to make money. And I know there's more subscription revenue, and people even in China are paying for premium you know streaming TV, but. Having a legacy business, I think, is, is, is great, obviously, to have that, but sometimes you've got to say, you know what, we've, we've had this client for 10 years. We really, you know, we're stretched on, on making money out of it. Staff don't really, you know, enjoy it. We're not doing great work. Maybe you say when time, time comes to pitch, you know what, we've had, a, we've had a great ride. Maybe it's best you, you look somewhere else. I don't think agencies are prepared enough to make that call, they're um, focused on getting that revenue for them. What about M and A? What is an agency's M- involvement in M and A? What does that world look like, especially from an agency's perspective? Look, it's Omnicom wasn't really strong on M and A right around the world. They believe sort of in, in investing in organic growth, um, but I can tell you in China, it's tough. It's really tough the M and A situation because. Um, you know, the local agencies are very, very good. They're getting better. Um, but they, there's a, it's just a different way of working. And um, it's very hard to integrate a, an acquired agency into the way that you work. And I think many cases have gone through, and I know a number have been in court, maybe through with, uh, with publicists or, or dental agents who have been pretty acquisi- acquisitive over the years, but I don't know if there's been that many that have been that successful. Local agencies are running different ways. They are very close to their, their local clients um, and the way that they work is totally different to multinational 4A agencies who have processes and disciplines and, and those sorts of things that they then need to push onto the local, local agency and um, they don't necessarily work. So it's tough. It's tough and tricky and challenging, and um, yeah, there are many cases of, of things that haven't worked out well for the acquirer. 
Okay, so Doug, you've had a pretty incredible career uh, in media and advertising, a foreign guy in China, 15 years. It's been pretty remarkable. Um, and you have a this wealth of knowledge and experience, and you walked away. You didn't leave the knowledge. I'm sure you kept that and took it with you inside that big brain of yours. But what is the new thing you're doing now? What is this Duke and what... Tell me, like, you know, and what was the draw? What are you guys, what are you guys doing in changing the world now? Because I'm sure you are. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a lot of people have said to me, why wouldn't you just stuck a couple more years out at, you know, OMG or, you know, kept the, kept the, the momentum going. Well, it's and, not like the military. Look, I'm sure you're not chasing some sort of grand pension or something. So. No, no, <laughs> but look, I, I, it, it came, I came across, uh, Two guys really that have been building a uh, an outdoor um, data tech platform um, and spent quite a lot of time and, and money on it, and um, I was really impressed by it. And I, I said, "Well, this is kind of game changing because what it did, it actually measured outdoor, and they had some technology and built a whole platform around it um, that gave you measurement of outdoor. And as we know, outdoor is not measured, so it was like, hey, this is really interesting. This is quite game-changing. So you can tell me how many people walked past my advertising. I mean, maybe talking street level in malls and shopping centres and pedestrian streets and mm. airports and things mm. like that. So I said, that's awesome because that that's not around now. And people buy outdoor in numbers, like 100 sites. And everyone that know, who's bought outdoor knows actually that you kind of got to buy some great sites and good sites and some ordinary sites. And there's no measurement, there's no verification, there's not a lot of transparency and accountability. So I said to these guys, this, this, is, this is really, really game-changing. If you can make it to be able to be bought automatically or through automation or programmatic buying, you can actually switch the game from buying outdoor to buying impressions number of people going through the digital uh, sorry through through the senior outdoor sites I said, that's incredible accurately. Yeah, yeah yeah accurately well we're about we, we we don't have we don't use facial recognition we don't take photos we don't we don't use wi-fi we don't use um mobile um but yeah it it provides a measure of how many people saw your ad which is which is totally game-changing so there's a time that you know circumstances changed and their circumstances changed and my circumstances changed. And I thought, well, what am I going to do the next couple of years? And um, I wanted to, you know, I, I felt it was time for me to move on from, from mm. OMG. I'd been there eight years. And mm. this is like, wow, outdoors are the last um, media to, to transition to digital. Mm -hmm. If we can pull this together, it's going to be awesome. So that's what we did. We called it Dukin. D double O H K E N for digital out of home and can being representative token because uh, you know the idea is to put blockchain underneath it. So the actual data coming off the screen into the platform is what clients see and what they uh, what they pay for. What is your best piece of advice, given your years and years and years of experience for brands looking to enter China? Look, I think it's. If you make the decision that you're going to go in China, have deep pockets, and go big and go bold. 
it's very difficult to start off small and then then grow the business in China. I think getting size and size, business size and scale is is really really important. It's why you see that the you know the growth of uh, Yum and and now McDonald's under the local agent local um, franchise and uh, business arrangements that they're now putting in place is really growing because they're bigger and they make you, know, you own stuff when you're big. You know, Starbucks kind of own the coffee market, um, licking coffee's chasing them, of course, but um, once you've got the territory, you've got it. And someone will come right behind you if they think that's a great business idea. Um, and it's likely to be a Chinese player and they're going to have deeper pockets and access to more resource and connections and they're going to go bang and all of a sudden you'll be swamped. So go big, go bold and go fast. And they'll have less legacy bogging them down, allowing them to be more nimble. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love this thing of legacy now. It's like uh, it's something that I really didn't appreciate, but now it's something that I talk about all the time. We don't have any legacy to protect. We can kind of do what we want. And if it doesn't work quickly, then we then we change, change tag, which makes us easier to, to grow. Doug, this has been a thoroughly fascinating interview. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your insights. Uh, and I really appreciate your background in history and uh, your ability to stick it out um, and and uh, and stay stick to it in China um, and uh, reaping the benefits. And I wish you all the success with uh, with Dukin. How- oh, thanks, Todd. It, it, it's just such an exciting place to be. It's changing all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, if you can crack it, the prize is big. You're absolutely That's what right. We're trying to do. You're absolutely right. If people want to get in touch with you or get a hold of you or want to speak to you about Dukin or anything else that you're working on, is yeah, there a good way the, to get in touch with you? Website, www.dukin.com, D O H K E N. All right. Sounds good. Again, thanks very much, Doug. Really appreciate it. All right. Bye. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.